Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jance. My guest today is Phil Mershon. He's the Director of Experience for Social Media Examiner. He's been designing the social media marketing world experience for over a decade. Drawing from over 25 years in creating customized events, Phil loves to create memorable moments and transformational experiences. In addition, Phil is a jazz saxophonist, I didn't know that, and a pickleball enthusiast, who isn't, and the author of Unforgettable, The Art and Science of Creating Memorable Experiences. So, Phil, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. It's great to be here. So I guess, you know, a lot of times I pick on titles. I don't pick on them. I just want to like pick them apart a little bit, you know? So the first obvious question is what makes an event unforgettable? So I just find it this way. There's three M's that go into it to make this easy, like the company 3M. So it's memorable, it's meaningful, and it's momentous. So let me break those down for you. It's memorable. So it's got to do something that stands out something that's going to get your attention, something that um, maybe you're not expecting. It's a surprise. It's unusual. It stands out, but it's also memorable in the sense that it's engaging as many of your senses as it can. Even virtual events can do this, but live events, especially yeah. if you tap into all five senses, then it will become memorable, meaningful. It's significant. It's something that you personally are getting value out of. It's going to stand the test of time for you. And Momentous is leaning on the work of Chip and Dan Heath. I don't know if you've read that book, The Power of Moments, but it's knowing that some moments sure. are more sure. meaningful in, uh, than others. It's Andy Stanley's quote, you do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. So you're trying to do things that you're leaning into those moments that really matter. And you're causing those to stand out. And when you've got a bunch of meaningful moments, it's been designed for you. So it's like a customized, personalized event and it's memorable. Now, all of a sudden we're leaning into something that's become unforgettable. You'll be talking about it for years, hopefully decades, maybe the rest of your life. All right. So I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit uh, because I know you've designed or been very uh, instrumental in designing a certain experience that's quite large. I've attended I don't know. You said a decade. I've been there at least six years, maybe seven years. I'll be back this year to social media marketing world. Kind of frame, uh, obviously, I have a lot of context. Maybe listeners don't. Uh, kind of frame how you think about that experience based on what you just uh, d described, the, uh, the 3M method. Yeah. So some of it comes down to looking at the customer journey. You know, a lot of your audience are in marketing, so you're used to looking at customer journeys. Well, the customer right. journey for an event belief starts the minute they buy a ticket and it's all the way up until the event. So you're looking at the phases of someone's experience and saying, how can we make this more meaningful? What are they looking for right now? And, you know, three months before an event, people aren't looking for a lot. About six weeks out, they're starting to think about what's the agenda? Who am I going to meet up with? What am I going to do before and after and during the event? So you're trying to anticipate that journey. You want to make people feel as comfortable as you can. You want to understand what their goals are. So meaningful, I'm trying to understand who are these people? What are their goals? How do I create experiences for them that they care about? Um, momentous, I'm looking at what are those key moments that are going to make the, the event better or worse? Again, you can't pay attention to every single moment within an event. If you did that, then you would go crazy. So what are those moments that I can make a big impact that will become memorable? And then I'm looking at what are those opportunities to do something that is maybe unexpected. So you've been there for six or seven years. You'll remember 
probably one of the years at least where we had a musical that was on stage and oh, yeah, people yeah. were not expecting that, especially the first year we did it. Mike finished his keynote yeah. and instead of getting up and making announcements, we broke into like a 10 minute uh, parody on Wizard of Oz. Totally memorable, totally unexpected. People who left the room had FOMO because they missed out on it. Not everybody did, but it was, you know, it was unexpected. And so it gave people something to talk about. So we're trying to look at things like that, but also leaning into what did they really come for? They came to, to first of all, learn from people like you, John, right? So how do we make space where you can show your expertise and not only in the classroom, but in the hallways and the conversations that you have, we want you to walk away having had a great experience, not just the people who've paid money to be there. We want the vendors that we work with to have a great experience. So the three M's helped me to work with all those different people and create that experience. I read in a book somewhere, it was called The Art of Gathering. I can't remember the author's name, but pretty big book. And, you know, she gets into like dinner gatherings even. But one of the things I've, I was struck with is she talks about this idea of, of before you ever design any like thing, <laughs> logistics, it's like, what's the purpose of the event? Do you feel like social media marketing world starts there? We do start with what is our purpose? What's our customer? Um, I mean, some of that hasn't really yeah. changed in the 10 years that we've put the event on, but we definitely start there. Like what's changed in the industry? Who are these people? You know, when we're designing the content, we're doing deep analysis on what's going on in the industry. You know, how did people respond last year? What are they responding to in terms of the things that we publish, the research that we do, making sure that we have a lineup that matches the people who are coming to the event so that we can put on the best thing. And then yeah. we're doing the same thing with the experiences that we create. How did they respond to that last year? Who are the people that are really coming? Like we've made some mistakes over the years because we didn't understand who the people were. And mm. this is one of like my mistakes. And this is something we, any marketer can do this. If you start to assume that your audience thinks and um, responds the same way that you do, you're probably on a path to <laughs> trouble. <laughs> so like, you know, John, you know, I'm a jazz saxophonist. And so I assumed that people enjoyed jazz and that it would be good background music. That's really all it was supposed to be is like background music for people to network. Well, it turns out yeah. not everybody received it that way. They said it's good, but it actually was taking my energy down. I want something that's going to build my huh. energy up. So when I started to realize uh -huh. that the average attendee at our conference is a 40 year old woman, not a 58 year old man, which, you know, I've been doing it for a decade. So yeah, I started in my forties, but that's when I said, oh, they're probably not listening to the same music that I am. I should probably figure out what they do listen to. And, you know, it's an yeah. obvious point, but it's easily overlooked when we get busy. We start to think, well, everyone kind of looks at things the way that I do. And that's not the case. Well, I love jazz, but I, I'm reminded of the joke, you know, uh, country music is uh, three chords played to thousands of people and jazz is a thousand chords played to three people. That's about right. Yeah. There's a thousand starving jazz musicians in New York, so, <laughs> but they're really good. <laughs> so, oh, that's every town. I mean, I'm looking, I live in this little rural town of Colorado and there are incredible bluegrass musicians just hanging out in bars. It's amazing. So, Audience is a big part of an event or really of any marketing. Talk a little bit about, because I think, I think, and I hate to keep leading on social media marketing world, but that's certainly something we have in common. How do you view audience versus community? Because I know that the social media marketing world community is something that, that you talk a lot about uh, as well. So how do you differentiate those? How do you serve both of those? So 
Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, we are trying to build community and certainly social media examiner itself has a community, people who follow us, whether they're getting emails right. from us, whether they're reading our content, whether they're following us on any of the social channels. I would say there's like that broad sense of community, but they're really more consumers of the things. So people who come to the event, now they're, they have the chance to become a community and we are intentional. Usually about 60 days prior, we launch this yeah, right now it's a Facebook group. Some in prior years, it was a LinkedIn group and we've done other various ways to bring community together, but we try to get people together, meeting each other, knowing each other, making plans, supporting one another. That community ends up being something that people take part in all year long. And, you know, right. obviously there are deeper forms of community. So, you know, when I say audience, that's because I'm a performer. <laughs> and so when I look out, you know, from a stage out at a group of people, it's an audience, but we want them to support each other as if they're community, they know each other. And there's clearly different levels of that, that emerge based on people's own behavior, but also by our intention, we get a group of people that their whole job is to help people make connections before the event and while right. they're on site. And it's actually two different teams of people. And that's what they do make connections with people and help them meet other people like themselves or that will, will be supportive of them. Yeah. So we focus primarily on a physical event, you know, which obviously is an experience, but you know, we have customer experience and we have employee experiences. You know, what are some ways that, that unforgettable should, could be applied, you know, to those environments? So I think again, this principle of, Doing something that is unexpected or beyond expectations might be a better way to say it. I heard someone say creating little moments of wow, because I think that in customer experiences, that's yeah. what you can do. Like when someone clearly goes above and beyond. I had this happen with an insurance company yesterday, John, where I was trying to get some information and a lady literally spent an hour on the phone with me while she made all the phone calls for me to all the places and just <laughs> let me stay on hold so that I didn't have to go chase this information down myself. To me, uh, at the end of that hour, I was like, okay, yeah, I spent an hour, but I actually probably only spent 10 minutes talking to her while she did all the work. I was like, I was wowed by that. So she went above and beyond my yeah. expectations. So I think that's one of those things we can do in customer experiences, you know, even in like employee engagement. I think if we, get to know who the people are and listen to them instead of assume, you know, we can start to create unique experiences. Like if I knew when your birthday was, and I happen to know that you're a chiefs fan living in Bronco country, you know, I think we did this for you one year. Didn't we, John, <laughs> didn't I buy you a hat, a chief's hat or something like that? When I know you I've did, done that. You did. You did. Yes. Yeah. So I think, you know, <laughs> when you get to know people, and you buy things for them. They don't have to be expensive, yeah. but you do something special for a birthday or for a celebration. Like those are things that yeah. when they're not expecting it is when it's the best. Hey, have you ever tried to hire freelancers and found that the quality of work was lacking or you got all the outsourcing excuses as to why the work didn't get done on time? Well, Desk Team 360 has revolutionized the outsourcing game with their insourcing program that eliminates all those frustrations and excuses. You get unlimited graphic designs, website, funnels, CRM, email automation, integrations, automations, really anything that requires you to log into software. Imagine all the time and frustrations you can save from trying to get your tech work done properly. We use Desk Team 360 every day in our business, and so I've negotiated you a 10% deal. That's right. Just go to Desk Team 360. 
info. Book a discovery call and you'll receive the special duct tape marketing 10% off because, hey, your pal John always takes care of you. So that's it. Go to deskteam360.info and book your call today. So technology has kind of crept into everything, uh, including experience. I mean, we're doing a lot of events virtually now, you know, there's some things, advice or, or, you know, best practices, knowing that in some cases we're not going to get together and hug, you know, we're going to do this. Well, number one, I think when you're doing things virtually, we know that people's attention is very short. So you've got to keep things moving. You've got to have some things that you're interrupting patterns that keep their engagement. Yeah. Yeah, the same is true for you, John, when you're speaking on a stage, I'm sure. Like you've probably are having to design your talks in a different way than you did 20 years ago because people are not yeah. sticking with you. But I think in virtual environments, it's even more so because, you know, before this call, I had 20 tabs open. You told me to shut them all down through the app that you sent me. So I did, but I could have 20 <laughs> tabs open and then I'm tempted yeah. to go look at one of them when a notification shows up. That's what's happening in virtual events. Sure. People are being tugged by things on their screen as well as in real life. Most of us are working remotely anymore. And so there's things happening in our real life that the dog's barking, the cat, you know, the kids are crying, right. you know, the other phones ringing. So I think that's yeah. one of them is like looking for ways to keep the content engaging. Um, that can be the visuals that you're using. That could be, you know, you're interrupting patterns by telling a story. Stories are awesome. Um, but it could also be just the way that you present something. I, one of the things I did, the, the core analogy in the book, John, is about uh, baking bread. So in one of the talks that I did, I actually had a table set up on the stage and I had all the ingredients for baking bread laid out there and I mixed it together on the stage while I talked about the importance of each one of these ingredients. And then we had some real life lessons where I didn't have enough water. I had misdiagnosed how much I needed because the recipe I used was not fully accurate, which was a great learning because if you don't have enough water, you know, flour or the, you know, the dough becomes very lumpy and some of it just the dough or the flour never yeah. gets folded in. Well, water is communication. So if you don't have enough communication, people are getting left out. People aren't getting folded in. The whole experience is going to have clumps of good stuff and bad stuff. And so it's just like this great visual um, learning that we had right there on the stage, on the screen, because it was on video too, where people got to experience, huh, that's like real life right there. Yeah, especially events. I mean, you can plan all you want, but <laughs> something's going to happen, right? Something's going to happen. <laughs> so I'm sure you, well... I don't know if you get this question all the time, but I'm going to ask this question. You know, a lot of folks are cutting back on budgets and things and easy place to cut sometimes or frills at events. But a lot of that goes with, because we're not measuring, you know, the success. So talk a little bit about how you measure success. I mean, let's say our goal is we want people to be engaged and energized and happy. I mean, how do you, how do you measure stuff like that? Funny enough, I was on a call yesterday with some people at Google XI. And their whole goal is try to improve engagement at events. Like Google is putting aside a lot of money to help events get better at what they do and particularly serving the neurodivergent communities. But there's a company out there that can measure people's delight through their face at an event. <laughs> so like if you're <laughs> online or even in person, they had cameras set up and they determined that eight out of 17 sessions that we did had above 
be or above expectations in terms of people's delight in what was happening. And that's based on smiles in their eyes and who knows what all kinds of things. So there's that level of measurement that can be done. That's kind of next level. And that's probably something that's coming where all of us can do it. But I do think it's the surveys that you do and, you know, what questions you ask obviously will need to be things that you're going to act upon, but they'll tell you, you know, did they really enjoy the way you did this or that? And so that's to me very important. I'm, we send out several surveys after the event to understand the quality of the content. Like that's obviously what people paid for. So we measure that. We want to know every single session, how did they do? Is there any feedback that we want to give the speaker uh, so that they can get better at their craft? Because I think every speaker, you know, should want to get better. If they don't, then maybe they ought to stop. But we're also looking at all the other things, the intangibles. What did they care about? You know, I had this vision that people really cared about the quality of the video on a camera in the recordings. Then I went and looked at the data of what Mm. people told us and like, well, nobody mentioned that. Maybe they don't care about it as much as I thought they do. I mean, we do expect to see faces, but what we're really there for is the learning. Maybe we don't care to see what the speaker looks like when they're saying, you know, here's how to do a Facebook ad. Yeah. Yeah. So so you started to go there and I was going to ask you about, because here's, I think, a real opportunity for a lot of people. I think a lot of people put a lot of energy into the actual event or the actual experience. But I know that you've hinted a little bit at some things you do to get people fired up ahead of time. And then some things that you do to keep them. Now, in your particular case, you want them coming back next year. You're probably going to do it. You know, you're, you've probably signed a contract for three or four years on that convention center, right? So what are some things you do to get people fired up before they come? And then what do you get them to do to, to stay engaged with the experience they had? So it wasn't just a, oh, that was nice. Yeah. So I learned this from um, Aaron King, who used to do social media for the Oscars. And she came up with a 90 day mm. social media plan, which I don't mimic perfectly, but I mimic to the way that works for us. And that looks like this 60 days before you're doing a lot of of content that's slowly building the engagement and the enthusiasm and getting people talking to each other, making plans, suggesting plans, giving guidance to the newcomers. We do a newcomers orientation so that they can come and learn. Here's the things that you want to make sure that you take advantage of. Then there's the actual event itself. And so that's also got this, you know, the slow burn. It's kind of like yeast. You want it sure. to slowly rise. So we're trying to get it to slowly rise to this place where, you know, everyone's, you know, really excited and happy to be at the event. When they leave, you know, then there's another 30 days. So we spend 30 days after the event. And most events I've noticed, and ours is included after about a week or two, the attention drops off dramatically. I've tried to do a 21 day challenge to get people practicing the things that they learned at the conference. And I've noticed that it doesn't happen. So this year we're actually going to make it seven days. Let's make it realistic. Something that people can actually do just say, you know, for the next seven days, here's a prompt and we're going to do this together and we're going to have some prizes. We continue to correspond with them, but eventually they become part of the broader social media examiner community again. That group, that Facebook group does stay open all year long, but we don't keep pumping it with content after 30 days. 30 days we do. We're actively managing it, promoting it. We'll even do some follow-up meetups um, after the event, but those are mostly just for networking and encouraging 
people, but I've found that the majority of people, once that one week after Mark hits, they've moved on to the next thing. So we do everything we can during the event to help them make plans for how they're going to follow through on this. And then they'll, you know, they'll get the videos, they get the recordings. We remind them of those things for a couple of months. And that's pretty much where we are. It's not a year long community for us. I know it could be, but that's just a business decision we're making of saying, you know what, we've got another paid all year long community that's called a social media marketing society. So for us, that's where we want people to be engaged all year long. The conference is more of a seasonal, but annual event. Yeah. Well, Phil, this was great. I appreciate you stopping by the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. You want to invite people to where they might connect with you and then obviously check out a copy of Unforgettable. Absolutely. So filmrashawn.com is probably the best place to go. There's a way to get on an email list with me. All of my social handles are there on the top. If you want to buy a, a signed copy of my book, there's a way to do that directly there, or there's a page um, slash purchase that will um, give you all the links to most of the places in the United States where you can buy books and you can support local bookstores or go to the big boys, Amazon target, any of those that sell books, they're all there. And, and you've got a podcast as well, right? Well, my podcast is currently doing no. it. So I would say oh, okay. I plan to start one related to events and experiences, but that's going to be a next year project. Well, it, for people who haven't done it, podcasts are not, a, you know, are, are not a simple thing. Let's put it that way. They take a fair amount of work to get right. So yeah. again, I appreciate you stopping by and we're going to run into you soon out there in San Diego.